Tough as Nails, Season 4, Episode 5, Crush It, is over. And we're talking about it here on our Tough as Nail recaps here on Rob Has a Podcast. My name is Mike Bloom, ready to talk across the net and not the 16,000-pound one. All about the halfway point of Tough as Nails Season 5. We've reached the intermission, and uh, we we had a big number, I would say, to close out Act 1 in the loss of Sergio. He got iced out in a manner of speaking. Of course, I'm not alone here. We've got the Savage crew, or at least some of us together, to get the job done. Someone who uh, is no stranger, I would say, not to squid boats, but certainly the art of the squid, considering she literally drew squid art a couple of years ago. It's Jessica Lees. Jess, how are you? Doing great, Mike. Um, I was trying to come up with the right line for this for this podcast, but didn't get anything. Hopefully I will boo your spirits. Nevertheless, those lead lines or lead lines, I should say, in this case, are very <laughs> heavy. You sh- did you try coiling it around? You shouldn't be, have lifted the bin by yourself. Yeah, the problem is you, you have to stack it exactly right or it falls over. Exactly. Much like any good podcast where hopefully we are maintaining our coil as unfortunately, once again, Rob Cicernino is not here. He uh, is very happily going to what some would consider the happiest place on Earth, perhaps with the exception of Captain Robert, who would probably reply a squid fishing boat. Uh, He's a Disney with his family, which is super exciting. But that means Rob is AFK right now. So Jess and I are coming back in here to talk about episode five. Tough as Nails, which saw the crew getting their hands dirty in a different manner of speaking. We went nautical here, though everything was largely based on the land. We were going onto squid boats. We were packing up squid. It really was, even though the slime meals were definitely missed, Jess, I would say it's slime meal adjacent, I suppose, in terms of seafood handling. It really felt like the it felt like the disappointing sequel to the slime eels. I mean, I don't know how you top slime eels, to be honest, but mm. we talk about squid the whole episode and we don't do squid until the final challenge. I feel like there may have been more things we could have done with the squid. And I, I get it. We're trying to save the best for last, but I was promised squid and we got, you know, one squid task and then yeah. one ice task and one boat task. I mean, it is sort of going through the life cycle of the squid, right? Of this is how we bring them in. This is how we prep the boxes. And then this is how we pack them away and send them in copious 40 pound amounts to whoever may want them. I mean, squid's a hot commodity, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I'm a calamari man, so uh, I I very much sympathize with that. Well, let's get into an episode that I think is hopefully as tasty as that beloved appetizer. I mean, we're halfway through the season. Again, Phil points it out here with the first two episodes airing on one night. Yes, it is week four, but it is episode five out of our usual slot of 10. Jess, is, is there any way we can gauge like how we think the season's been so far. Is there any barometer we can compare against other seasons or are they always separate beasts? It kind of feels to me, Mike, despite all efforts to the contrary, tough as nails is just something you sort of, you get on the boat and you ride with it and Mm. you get at any point in the stream, you can jump on and there's, there's an attempt at a narrative, but you can enjoy it without having to think about like what it means in the grander scheme. I I was actually watching it watching it back last night. I was thinking that it reminds me so much of a favorite laundry show of mine. Um mm. and a favorite show of my whole household's actually. Um it was giving me it was giving me how it's made vibes. Oh, interesting. And it was just kind of the tasks this week were very meditative. And that's strange to say because they were very physically taxing, but I had that same kind of feeling of calm and this feeling of, huh, that I get while watching how it's made. It wasn't, I didn't feel like I was in the midst of a, you know, brutal bloodbath to the, you know, for the glory and the title. It was more like, you know, I'm watching people do a job and it seems like it might be a pleasant job Mm. and I'm learning a lot. Yeah, I I don't disagree. Tough as Nails may be the reality TV equivalent of those TikTok hydraulic press videos. Uh, uh, Do you ever watch watch carpet cleaning videos? Oh, no, I don't. Oh, my God. Carpet cleaning TikTok is lit. Well, that might be a challenge in season five if Phil is listening to have them clean carpets. Yeah, power washing videos, too. Do you think they'd bring on Stanley Steamer himself to advise the competition? (laughs) 
Wow. That's, you know, that's a, that's a high level celebrity for tough as nails, but I think they could swing it. They've got enough cachet now. Yeah. If Captain Robert's been fishing since he was 12, God only knows what Stanley Steamer has been doing and how long he's been in business. Yeah. I mean, how old's that guy got to be? Exactly. Let's get into this episode as the teams are going to head to the dock. Phil, who is, I would say, definitely on one, I think, again, has really settled into a really fun niche of hosts where I think, you know, back in the days of Amazing Race 30, when we were doing the head to head, we did poke a little fun right at like, you don't need to be Jeff Probst. This isn't really fitting for our beloved Phil. He's found his hosting style now, and his hosting style is like the almost in that embracing way that you talk about with the show in general, like the the dad. I feel like he is the most dad-like host out there. And maybe from some capacities, the most daddy-like host out there. When he talks <laughs> this episode about, if you want a little fishy on your dishy, this is where you go to fish. And he's so loose on, on Tough as Nails in a way that he never is on Amazing Race. Even though we see outtakes. I, the thing mm-hmm. I remember the most... Um, when we talk about Phil in this regard is the amazing race Matt clip where we saw him pull the same terrible dad joke on two different teams on the mats. Yes. <laughs> and the, you get glimpses of this on amazing race, but I feel like you get Phil unleashed on, on tough as nails. And you can see like he is very much because he's the guy in charge. He is freer to be a little bit more himself. And we know like having logged some hours talking to Phil, this is Phil. This is yeah. what he's like. And yeah. and he is really in his element. I think he is very much, as you said, settled into his role. And he's being very much he's being very much Phil in these moments. Well, Phil's going to instruct the teams in this challenge to cash more than just a little fishy to provide a little dishy. So this one is a little intense, perhaps against the sort of plaintive nature we usually talk about with the show. So the two major things they have to do is first use this power block to essentially hoist 16 or 15,000 pounds of fishing net, 200 fathoms onto the squid fishing boats, stacking it in a particular way that it's not just messily splayed across the (laughs) entire deck of the boat. Once that particular stacking is done, then you have to take these bins, almost as if you're like loading out of a concert venue, at least, that are full of buoys, another heavy net, and some lead line, and load them onto the trailers. Jess, we've definitely been down to the docks a couple times, as we mentioned before, What did you think about the intensity of this particular team challenge? Well, it looked physically taxing, but it really, I I wanted a little more local color to it. It really felt like we're going to move this thing from here to there. There was, and you could see the practical applications of it. And we'll get into this a little bit more as we talk about how the teams did and what approaches worked best. But it was a little bit, it felt a little lackluster to me. It really it felt like there was not a huge problem to be solved apart from how do you stack your buoys mm. and stacking the buoys didn't make for a terribly compelling TV. But it was it was fun to watch the net go over the thingy. And it yeah. was it was cool to watch them all working together and solving the various little snags. But it was more how it's made satisfying rather than team competition. Yeah, the thing I found most satisfying from it was this idea of you hear, okay, you have to sort 15,000 pounds of net and you blanch because, you know, that's nearly eight tons. And you're like, I don't know how they can do that. It seemed like they do that. I wouldn't say with ease, especially in the case of Savage Crew, but I would argue the harder point for them, physically speaking, was the second part was hauling the 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 bushels, considering, you know, the exertion that someone like Mr. was uh, definitely vocalizing during that part. So I guess that was the most interesting part to me was that, yes, well, on paper, it seemed like a heavy load between teamwork and just the fact that, again, that power block was doing a lot of work. It didn't seem as arduous as you may think. I think. To your point, the other thing that made me a little disconnected is that, you know, I I stay far away from boats. I wasn't sure how the final product was supposed to look. And so I feel Mm. like this challenge more than other ones, we really had to go off of the confessional explanation from the contestants talking about, okay, why is this right and this isn't right? 
Yeah, I needed a little bit more of why is it important to do it this way? And Mm. we didn't see anybody failing hard enough to really underline that. It's a lot like, and, you know, we keep going back to Amazing Race because this is the Amazing Race panel. This is an extension of the Amazing Race podcast. But there are tasks on the Amazing Race, like you have a detour where if you are smart about how you do a job, you'll get it done faster. Or if you have experience doing that thing, you'll get it done faster. And then there's the ones where you just go in and do the thing and it will take a set amount of time and a set amount of effort, but you will get the thing done. And this was this very much, as much as they tried to make it skill-based, they didn't really underline the skill-based aspect of it enough for me to feel like I got the stakes of it. Well, speaking of skill-based, we do have Beth stepping up once more as team leader for Dirty Hands this time around, not only due to, of course, her own nautical expertise, but also her looking for some redemption after what happened at the plant nursery a couple of weeks ago. And Savage Crew is also going to do a bit of a rerun as they bring on Laura here, a little bit of like the the Laren situation from last week, right? Of Okay, she's proven successful before. She's a good team leader. You know, I may be talking out of my butt here, Jess, because I don't remember too much of season three from week to week. But it does feel like this is a distinct shift from the first couple seasons where it kind of felt like, okay, everybody gets a turn. I feel like we've gotten a maybe the most amount of repeat team leaders. Do you think the game of Toughest Nails has changed in a way where it's less about that? that uh, you know, equanimous, everyone should get a shot to be the leader to, okay, let's truly pick the right person for the job. I think so. I think there has been more strategy. And we have talked, especially in previous seasons, about how someone could come into Tough as Nails in slightly less good faith and use strategy to get very far in the game. And I don't think that's what's happening here necessarily, but I think it's playing a little bit more of a role. I think it's less of a chance. They're seeing it as less of a chance to showcase everybody than it is an opportunity to actually they understand the the layout of the field. They understand how the game is played and they're finding the best ways to work within those parameters. Um, and, you know, every reality show goes through that. Like, you know, remember season one of Survivor when they were all mm-hmm. shocked that people were making alliances. And now it's like you take it takes you five minutes to explain how immunity idols are played. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's. It's on a smaller scale, of course, but it, it is they're looking at what is truly going to be the best way for us. And sometimes the known known is better than, you know, the unknown unknown. Yeah. And there are coincidences as well. Right. Like mm-hmm. Beth got this role, I think, in part due to the fact that this took place aboard a boat. Laren was team captain again because last week because there was an automotive task. Perhaps if there is like a pipeline challenge, that's when they decide, OK, Jake, you're the one to step mm-hmm. up. And so to your point, and, and maybe it also helps that you have people like a Sinithia like an alley, right, who maybe George is the exception to this rule, but when you have people who are a bit younger in their careers, sometimes that doesn't necessarily translate to, okay, this would make a good leader. So I appreciate from a player perspective that they turn to experience perhaps over making sure everyone has a say, though, again, the tasks are so varied that everyone has their time in the spotlight. Unfortunately, when it comes to these reran team leaders, one will win, one will lose here. So Jess, describe for me what exactly went wrong for Savage Crew. Why did Savage Crew lose? Well, it was closer than it has been, I think, in recent challenges. Yeah. And I will and then I will, you know, while I think it's understandable why you do say, yeah, I'm not really sure about the just haul weight in the second part. I do think it helped to kind of make it be not necessarily a great equalizer, but if it was just the first part of the challenge, this would have been a complete blowout. So I mm-hmm. am grateful for the second part of the challenge to at least make it seem like what seemed to be the closest besides maybe the uh the the episode two team challenge where Sergio or Ellery right forgot the little number and it came down to that this seemed to be the closest team challenge yet yeah yeah there were there were a few ways to screw this up but I think what it came down to in the end was it was just that Beth had the experience she was literally the only person there that had significant amount of experience on boats and a thing is when you work aboard ships you really do learn the entire the entire way everything goes on the ship. And there are certain things, and this is something 
I don't spend a lot of time around around ships, but weirdly enough, I work for a company that owns ships. And so we talk about ships a lot and there are weird pockets of knowledge. You Hmm. only know if you work around people who work around ships. And Beth has this in spades because she is a Navy veteran. And even if she wasn't directly involved in stacking buoys or hauling large amounts of rope, she knows the trick because she's seen it in action before. And you do really kind of get to know every piece of what it is like to, to actually run a successful ship. And I think she knew innately, I think it came down to how you were stacking the buoys, because if you don't stack them exactly right, they fall over. It's like really, really big Christmas lights. Mm. You don't want to get tangled up and you don't want to make a stack such that, you it's too wide and it won't fit in the space and you run out of room but if you make it too narrow it's going to be too tall and it's going to collapse on you yeah and i think beth showed that in the way she divided up the team she made sure that she was on that part specifically Mm -hmm. she knew Uh, what the hard part would be exactly or at least the more detail oriented part because i think where what laura does is think okay let's put the muscle people there because they're going to be the ones to actually lift the buoys and so laura has this interesting strategy and it's a little reminiscent to me of what laren did last week where savage crew is kind of going by like i don't know mbti personality traits sometimes (laughs) and that she says this time she matched up not only strengths but personality as well specifically putting like a more excitable person with a calmer person jake and laren perhaps being i think the biggest indicator of that i will point out they are over two in that strategy so far it's good to know your team savage crew but maybe you don't need to play matchmaker in my opinion when it comes to making these pairs just look at the task at hand and match it up through strains yeah yeah you don't have to worry so much about personality when It's not a task that's going to have a lot of finer points to it. Yeah. And and we're not, you know, you're not, it's not the amazing best friends race. (laughs) Exactly. Though maybe, could it be that Phil secretly asked her to do this to try to create future amazing race teams? Because I feel like that's the next logical step for Phil is that he is angling to get a group of tough as nails people on the amazing race at some point. Well, the question then becomes like, is that going to be too much conflict of interest? Because Mm. imagine you are going on the amazing race and in your cast, like you and I are a team. Yes. And we're not the best example because I think we'd be subject to this as well. But we're just a team of randos going on the amazing race. And in our cast is Murph and Danny. Mm. Who do you think Phil's going to pay more attention to? Right. It's very much like playing a survivor with Mike White. Exactly. It's like, it's like, do you really want Phil's golf buddies on the amazing race? Yeah. I mean, I think he certainly does. And I think they do represent though, a faction of back in the day, Jess, I know when you used to publish articles back when casting was a bit more pigeonholed of like the, however many teams you see on Mm -hmm. the amazing race, this is the one we typically got, right? Like the blue collar people who never traveled outside the country are exploring (laughs) it all with wide eyes and an open heart. I feel like that would be represented here but you bring up a fair point that i don't even know about a finger i think the entire hand would be on the scale when it comes to airtime it's true it's true i mean as much as there are some amazing teams that could come out of tough as nails it's really it's really hard to feel like phil wouldn't be giving some preferential treatment there i mean not that he doesn't clearly like some teams better than others but yeah or contestants cough cough Mm -hmm. rooferly which is a very well deserved What's interesting as well about the personality pairings is I feel like almost after we got Laura saying that it cuts to like Jake yelling at Laren to (laughs) coil the buoys correctly. Yeah. Yeah. it It got a little intense there. Yeah, well, I mean, understandably so, because that's what loses it for Savage Crew. Uh, The one part of this challenge that I did find super interesting that I didn't even realize is that you have these two experts kind of off screen running these power blocks and they got to control the speed of it, which I did not realize. I thought it was once again going to be Lucy on the conveyor belt with the chocolates of like, it's just coming down, do with it what you will. And so what happens with Savage Crew is they have to stop their net, I think three times, Phil said, just because due to their improper stacking, things were getting wildly out of control. Dirty Hands, on the other hand, 
got to speed it up at a certain point. Now, again, Savage Crew was able to catch up, I think, due in part to just like them going all out, pushing two bins up at once, trying to basically like not throw as much lead line out there. But Dirty Hands squeaks it through here. They are ahead three to two at this point. Just second loss in a row for Savage Crew. Do we expect momentum to continue here? Or true to the nature of Tough as Nails, could it very easily swing back in their direction to tie it up next week? I mean, much is made of um, you know dirty hands moving into the lead from behind for the first time. But it's like it's been pretty even. This is the first time that a team has won two in a row. It really doesn't seem to me like we can read anything into that yet. They're very evenly matched so far. Yeah, that's something I will say again and again between the team challenges, the individual challenges, and even the overtime. Sometimes this does feel like one of the most evenly competitive seasons of Tough as Nails we have had so far. We've talked about this before where those first couple of seasons, there were some front runners. And I think I definitely want to drop a couple names later on in this episode. But looking at how things have generally been pretty close especially in the team challenges we've seen a really couple nail biters in the overtime and then even in this individual challenge as well right there was a lot between the top two it does feel like there's a fair shot for a good amount of people to win which is what you want in your reality show we don't want to look at the halfway point and say okay which one of these three people is going to win or which one of these teams is going to run away with it but it also works for narrative as well i think in season one there was a point where we thought okay, Savage Crew is just going to get absolutely demolished by Dirty Hands. They keep bickering with each other, they keep losing, and they're able to rally and push forward, and they don't win ultimately, but they do at least tie it up. I could see something similar happening with this Savage Crew as well. I think last time you could chalk up to error, this time might have been more so not having experience. If things begin to become more leveled out next episode, I would not count Savage Crew out just yet. It is funny to me, Mike, that... It's following the same pattern as Survivor with the Orange Tribe, mm. where, and I don't know how this always shakes out, and maybe we're just projecting onto it, but it always seems to me like Dirty Hands is the even-keeled, like, you know, smooth-sailing team, and Savage Crew is always the hot mess. Yeah, I was I'm trying to remember if it was the same thing with season three. Definitely the case with seasons one and two. Uh, nothing, of course, has reached, I think, the height of the argument. Well, actually, no, I was about to say nothing has reached the height of the arguments that happened in season one. But we had that in the, the second first challenge, right, with Savage Crew when they were arguing with each other in the damn van about talking over each other. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's almost at this point, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like. You almost saw it when they were choosing teams this season. People were like, I want to be on the I want to be on the calm team. I don't want to be on the argue team. Yeah, I, listen, I'm here for the mess. So I'm choosing Savage Crew. What <laughs> should be noted, though, is uh, we'll cut a bit to the end of the episode. Four people have been eliminated so far. Three of them have been from Dirty Hands. So what's interesting is that maybe it's a case of they don't work as well together. But as individuals, they are all incredibly strong. This is like a personality test, almost. Like, which well, are you? Then maybe that's why Savage Crew wants to go for that aspect. Yeah, this is the new MBTI, Mike. This is, are you a Savage Crew or are you a Dirty Hands? Hey, listen, it'd be much easier from a psychologically perspective if you could just uh, boil it down to those two things and ignore all the other letters. Speaking of letters, let's get to our little surprise here. Now, I was intrigued because in the preview nice last segue. Week, Thank you. Because because of the preview last week, there were shots of people crying. And I thought, OK, there's one of two things. Either like, died. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like we have a freight train situation and somebody mm -hmm. gets injured, which there were a couple of shots of like George's foot. And I thought for a second, like, oh, my God, did something happen to his foot? Someone getting medevaced didn't seem to be the case. And especially once they started talking in the beginning about like, oh, I miss home. I miss my family. I don't know. Jess, when you Phil said there's a surprise waiting for you at the dock. What did you expect around that corner? I mean, there was what I hoped for and then what there was. Mm. And when they were walking around on the dock, there were just like more and more piles of rope and stuff. And I'm like, is he just walking them into another challenge? He's like, huh. yeah, we need you to do the rest of this work before you can get back in the van. Um, but I, I assumed it was some kind of like, you know, they've had 
they've had the they've had the episodes where they stop work at the end of the task and they all sit down and have a beer together. Yeah, the barbecue, I believe. Yeah, the barbecue. Yeah. So I thought it would I thought it was going to be something like that. But you're right, Mike. They really foreshadowed it with people talking about their families. And it was it was nice. But man, tough as nails gave a lot of art direction here. I was really impressed by the quality of these care packages. Yeah, I absolutely love it. It reminds me a lot of Australian Survivor. During certain seasons, they'd get like personal items sent to them at a certain point, which I think are a little different than just the generic letters from home, which certainly colors some personality. But when you get the sort of blank instruction of send anything, I think that almost tells you more about the contestants and their families. I will also say, speaking of that party note, I am a little surprised that one of the tastes of tough as nails that i absolutely love in the big smorgasbord is when team members just like to pass the time before challenges sit down with each other and talk i feel like we haven't gotten that this it's season true. for whatever reason like when we have we have Sinithia talk up alima and i'm like have the two of you even talked this season like what's your relationship like yeah, you don't see a lot of that. Like, typically, it's like an older contestant mentoring a younger one. I'm thinking specifically of like Angel being a, a non union worker mm-hmm. and talking to the union workers and realizing I could have a better deal. Um, or, of course, the very famous. Um, the very famous Linda and Miles scene from the first season. Mm-hmm. And it's really. It's missing. I feel like we're not getting as much. We're getting a few like individual moments from people and we're getting to know who they are, but we're not seeing that vis-a-vis how they play off of each other. Yeah. And so I'd be intrigued to know whether those were happening and they're just on the cutting room floor or if from like a timing perspective, maybe the schedule was just so tight that they didn't have the time to sort of sit around and wait for that type of stuff. Or maybe we're going to see it moving forward. We certainly have gotten it with like the George and Sergio stuff, but that's kind of it. That is kind of it. It's I, I really, I hope this is not the case, but it, this goes back to what we were saying earlier about people starting to understand the rules of the game and how it's laid out. And um, I wonder if people are spending more time talking about the game and less time talking about each other, Mm. which would be to the detriment of the show, I think. And I hope this is not what's going on where like we're driving the damn van and all we're talking about is like, how are we going to ace the next challenge? What do we think it's going to be? And how does this, how does this relate to how this other team did it in the previous season? Like, you know, the first, the early seasons of Survivor where the producers had to yell at them to stop talking about the game all the time. Yeah, exactly. Stop referring to previous seasons. Yes. Whereas nowadays on Survivor, that's their bread and butter. Well, at least we get this personal moment here with the care packages, which I adored for several reasons. First, having the ability to have Ellery kind of describe to us the importance of the care packages from both his military background and how that translates here. But I think to the point you made earlier, I loved the creativity of the care packages and what each care package said about each person and what they value back home from Sinithia, you know, getting a picture of her daughter with also like a letter, not alongside it, but kind of scotch taped to the bottom of the frame for whatever reason to like the photo album sent to Sergio to the kind of, I don't think this is contraband, but I'm reminded of like summer camp, Jess, all the food that was <laughs> yeah. sent to them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always, that's always what I would go for. If I was at camp and I'd get a care package, I mean, I only ever went to camp for like two weeks at a time, but I did go to boarding school when it was the same thing. It's like, where are the snacks? Get me the snacks. Well, to be fair, these people have kind of been away for two weeks as well. So I think uh, it ends up timing out very well. A couple of things I want to point out here. And look, I'm not here to judge or or make assumptions about everyone's family. But um, why why did Laura get a picture of her brother peeking out of the shower and her parents looking on? <laughs> I mean, it's probably deeply rooted in the family lore. There's probably a story there and we just didn't have time to to get it. I I would imagine so. And I guess it does show how much of a goofball he is. But if it's like, OK, you only have a set amount of photos like, well, I've got this great shower gag. I think we could stage a couple of these photos. So old Laurel will get a tickle out of them. <laughs> yeah, that was that was something. And I, I was just amazed at like the 
the depth of the scrapbooking that happened here. Yeah. It's like, it wasn't just, here's an envelope full of photos. It was like, here is a full blown photo album where stuff is neatly cut out and arranged and, and storyboarded. Well, that's the thing that I also kind of admire slash and more so intrigued by is clearly this photo, like the son and the parents are in. So not only did they have to stage it correctly, somebody had to take it. Exactly. They had to be like, oh, and Marjorie, can you come in here? We've got this hilarious gag where Miles over here is going to pretend to be in the shower and (laughs) peek out at his parents standing there. We're sending this to Laura who's competing for a buttload of money. We knew she'd love this the most out of everything she could possibly want. Can you please take this photo of us standing in the bathroom with the uh, assumption that I am naked? I mean, it could be one of those situations where it's like, we need to take a family photo and this is the only clean room in the house. (laughs) I don't want the the background. Uh, uh, I have a bit. I have a bit I could do in the bathroom. Let's make the bit happen. Sure. Sure. Maybe her favorite movie is Psycho. I don't know. Oh, that'd be interesting. No, I thought this was, I thought it was cute. It was just a little, listen, we're not full Greg Buis, but it was a little bit like, okay, <laughs> this is the picture from home. This is the one that we're going with. But again, not to judge the family too much. I mean, moving on to uh, someone that brought me from laughter to tears in the form of George, who not only, you know, has, he has this entire concept of father and sons, right? He talks about how this is the first time he's cried since his dad died, which was almost 20 years ago. But I mean, listen, Jess, you and I are both parents of young boys. The him talking about how like he goes to sleep every night with his son and seeing him in the picture with the Woody costume like that. God, that got me going. Yeah, I was, that was I, I was making the, the yeah, I'm making the waterworks go enough to fill the ocean uh, outside of those squid fishing boats. Yeah, that was and later on, when he says he's picturing his son watching him do the task, like that's that's right in the feels, too. Absolutely. And then Sergio n- nicely is able to break up kind of the uh, the the melancholy by asking if he brought tacos alongside the <laughs> album. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they packed the boxes or what kind of direction they received, but. Well, I think what they do is they had to go through the assembly line, right? They had to put 16 staples in the box. Then they Mm -hmm. had to pack it full of tacos and then put the the ice on the top. They're cold tacos. Yeah. Are they Choco Tacos? It could have been Choco Tacos. Yeah, I don't know if I would want cold tacos. I mean, I think for many reasons, transporting a taco cross country is a bad idea. It's the thought that counts more so than the smell. Right, right. You want a picture of a taco or they're in California. They can just go get tacos. That's very true. Yeah. Here, here, George, we sent you uh, 20 bucks. Go get yourself a nice taco. I mean, if if you're in if you're in California, you can probably find a pretty nice taco. I'm just saying. Well, there are some foods that are going to show up in other people's packages. Alima is going to get candy, but. Perhaps the biggest moment of this entire Care Padgett segment, Jess, we finally have the admission we've all been waiting countless episodes of Tough as Nails to hear. Ellery loves nuts. <laughs> well, who doesn't really? I mean, listen, I, I've had no complaints. Uh, the, <laughs> can we talk about this show? Is definitely branded, I think, as the more family-friendly show out of the CBS lineup. I think despite, like, how how Survivor kind of markets itself, how Big Brother definitely edits itself, this one definitely seems incredibly wholesome. And then, for some reason, this season, we've gone a bit from G to PG-13, at least, where last week... Sergio's talking about BJ a car. This week, <laughs> Ellery's like, I love nuts. <laughs> What's going on here? Are we trying to play to a different crowd on Tough as Nails season four? Are they playing, are they playing directly to Mike Bloom? That is my question. I mean, listen, I, like, love, I know we have some sway with Tough as Nails. No, I, I greatly value the relationship that I have with Phil, let alone the idea that I have a relationship with him in general. If this was indeed some sort of call out to yours truly, I think my soul would leave my body and just like <laughs> float into the Ayana sphere. I would have no idea how to feel. I'm just like, yeah, we're going to put a bunch of dirty jokes, let alone dirty hands in this season. Tough as nails is going full bloom. Well, actually, it should be noted that both of these dirty jokes came from members of Dirty Hands. Could this be back to your personality test? Oh. Jess, of the Dirty Hands people. Yeah, their team 
dynamic, maybe have more camaraderie, but at the same time, they're going to be so lewd. At Dirty Jokes or Savage Burns? Oh, I like that. Savage Burns to each other. And listen, blue, I guess, is close to black as a color, certainly closer than orange. So I guess it makes sense. Yeah. And OK, I want to I want to visit this this team colors thing for a second, Mike. Mm. While we're here, while we're talking about it, I had always been under the impression that Dirty Hands' color was not black, but like a very dark forest green. Oh, is, is this like they have a do they have like a, a range of colors? a la Survivor, where it's like, we're going to give you accessories in black and dark green, and whenever something's not available in dark green, we'll make it black. Because I feel like Savage Crew is like always orange, sometimes brown. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess we'd have to check back into the archival footage, our own photo scrapbook of previous seasons to see, did it change at all? Did they accidentally get things mixed up in the wash and it changed from like your dark greens to your blacks? What would you have to wash to turn something black? I, I'm listen, I have no idea. They're getting dirty out there. Maybe some soot got mixed in. Maybe it just became very quickly, okay, black and orange are contrasting enough colors that they wanted to go with that. It certainly I'd say stands out more. I'll admit I'm kind of like partially colorblind when it comes to darker colors, especially like your dark blues, your dark greens and blacks. I they're virtually indistinguishable to me. So I had no idea this was the case until you just brought it up. Yeah, they they wear when they're wearing their like team crew neck sweatshirts. I'm pretty sure the dirty hands ones are dark green. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it is a bit more of a catch all. There's more available black out there than there is dark green. So definitely something we'll add to the copious amount of uh, things to ask Phil at some point over the course of the season. Well, let's go inside here for our individual challenge, which puts uh, everyone's game on ice for a smidge as super simple. Cart the ice blocks from the warehouse in here. This was one of like, I remember this being a season one challenge, right? With like smashing the cinder blocks, make them small enough to push them through a grate, get enough weight down. I actually believe this is like one of the first individual challenges. Uh, Whoever does this, the quickest wins, whoever does it, the slowest loses. I got to admit, this is unfortunately maybe one of my least favorite challenges in general we've had on this season so far. I would say as far as challenges you watch, I'm inclined to agree with you. But if this was a challenge I got to do, I think I would feel quite differently. This looks like it would it's one of those tasks that's probably very, very fun to do and just maybe not as filmable as other tasks. And it's also it's not nuanced. You're right. It is basically get the thing and bring it to the thing. And we've had a lot of get the thing and bring it to the thing lately. And I also think, again, there's not particularly like new exciting things that I'm learning about the industry like I was with the fishing boat challenge because again we've had similar types of challenges where we know the proper way to wield a sledgehammer now right George is going to vocalize it but it's all about momentum it's not about power let gravity do the work that 9.8 meters per second squared let it uh, help you out at least a little bit so it's no coincidence that he ends up winning here. I guess I am excited that it ended up creating a, a good conclusion to it. Uh, but the concept sort of left me a bit wanting. Before we get into it briefly, I want to get into a, a personal moment here from Ilima, which I thought definitely was going to set us up for her winning this challenge. Uh, we find out about the tragic loss of her brother in 2002, where she had to do the unthinkable and identify her own brother's body when she was just 16 years old. But I want to ask, Jess, uh, I would call you, I think, the consummate tattoo expert on RHAP. You helped me get mine as a big example, which has its own squid iconography on it. What do you make about her talking about the, the story she wears on her body, to use her words? And this idea that her first tattoo was her brother's name with the stars and that the stars now pop all over her body in memory of her brother. Well, it's interesting, Mike, because I think there's also, I can't speak to this in great detail, but there's also a cultural component. I think she's from Hawaii Mm -hmm. and tattooing is a large part of many Pacific Island cultures. And it is really literally a story that they put on your body. So I thought that I, I do see like a Polynesian influence in a lot of the tattoo work that she has. So that may play into it for sure. Um, and I think that that is something, I think that's true for 
I wouldn't say everybody that has a lot of tattoos, like some people just like them and they're like, that looks cool. I want it. But most of the people I know who are heavily tattooed, like every piece, there's a big story behind it. And I, I thought that was really lovely the way that she has honored her brother. Absolutely. And considering that she said it's the first tattoo that she got, that's also interesting considering that if you look at her, you realize it was far from the last. And so I think her brother and his death has kind of kickstarted her down a certain path in her life uh, that I think has a physical representation as well as an emotional one. So it was a cool way to get to know Elima, mm-hmm. who I think we knew about in the first couple episodes, but it's good to, to see a different flavor of her. She's not going to win here, but she does fairly impressively as I think one of the big takeaways from this challenge, Jess, is something we really haven't mentioned in the past you know, few episodes, but I think should be indicated, is that the first three eliminated from this season were all women. And for the first time, a man was guaranteed to go home in overtime because it does came down, come down to Jake versus Sergio. And I think what it comes down to was just the little stipulation that not only do they have to get you know, a certain amount of weight through, it is specifically three times their body weight. And Phil has come on with us copious times to talk about trying to make things fair across all genders and the whole power to weight ratio is a phrase that he loves to drop. I think this is a good example of trying to make things as fair as possible that naturally, and maybe this not may not be the case all the time, sometimes you bring in straight terminators here, but most of the time men are going to have more opera body strength than women to be able to get to break more, to push through more, etc. And so now having to have Ellery, you know, get 549 pounds comparatively to people like, you know, Linda and Beth who only have to get 400 something certainly makes the challenge feel more equal across the board and not just make it automatically two more women are going into overtime. It's true. They think they did a good job here. Although I think Sergio may have gotten a little bit of a raw deal here because of he was one of the heavier contestants and had thus a lot more ice. I think it's not surprising to see him in the, in the bottom here. Yeah, uh, Ellery's going to put, right, like, oh, I should have lost more weight before coming out here. And yeah. yeah, could you do the thing like you do before a boxing match? Could you, like, dehydrate? Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe that'll be, again, you talk about gamifying the system. That could be it for Toughest Nails Season 5. Okay, if there's a weight challenge, Tyson certainly talked about this, I believe, of purposely bulking up, or no, purposely losing weight preseason so that knowing there's going to be challenges based on the weight before you came in, you'll get significantly less. I will say also, this was a, a good episode for Ellery humor wise. I think he slowly snuck up on us as like a very funny presence on the show. Yeah, he's kind of he's stealth funny. He's kind of like Alfie from last season. Mm, that yeah, way. Absolutely. So let's go to the top of the order here. Speaking of Ellery, it's really neck and neck for a while between Ellery and Alima. But like a racehorse, here comes George surging through powering through at the end there's a little bit of a scare where george runs out of ice and so he has to go and run back and grab a block but still he is able to rally here and sneak away with the win and the ever mounting prize winning amount of five thousand dollars ever ascending just george is the first person to win two of these individual challenges we're at the halfway point of the season is he the front runner in your opinion he might be. And that would be a really interesting winner. That was that's a great story of a winner because he is so young and because he's got this kind of he's got an old soul. Mm. And I think there's there's a really interesting story with him as a character. Um, but he has now uh, as far as individual amounts of money earned, he has almost twice as much money as the next person. He's he's won fourteen thousand dollars so far. And um and Laren has won eight thousand, and he is the next person on the on the list. So that's, I mean, George is doing very very well for himself. And I mean, it's hard. Like five episodes in, it's hard to find a pattern. Like we don't have enough data to really extrapolate. But I think he's certainly having a great season so far. So on that note, I actually want to talk about something else. You said a couple of weeks ago. The good thing about Tough as Nails is that there isn't really a winner's edit because it does vary from competition to competition. And also just due to the advent of nobody getting truly eliminated, we really get to know everybody. But what I've been noticing, Jess, is that we constantly get these confessionals from Beth, 
of, you know, my goal is just to stay in the middle, make sure I don't get eliminated. Amazing race. This would be something we very much flag, right? Yeah. This, would, this is the Joey and Kelsey. Okay. They're not going to get first until the final leg, but that's okay because that's when it matters most. How much do you weigh that against the typical tough as nails editing? Should we be looking at Beth as possibly someone to sneak through in the end and take it? Well, it is interesting. We're seeing a lot of Beth um, because I, I love Beth. I think she's so good at the challenges and she has this presence about her. Um, like she's just very like hyper competent at everything she does. And I like her, but I also, I have to say on this season, if we are looking at the personalities, like hers doesn't necessarily pop for me. Like mm. she's, she's got some, she's got some Murph vibes and we're seeing a lot of her. And I wonder if that means she's going to go very far. Um, like if this is the story of Beth, they are really, they're making an effort to make this the story of Beth. Yeah. Well, it's, what's interesting is we have eight players left. Beth and Laura are the only two to never either have won or finished in the bottom too. So, and there's also this talk, right, about like her and Laura staying neck and neck through this competition. I don't know. I think we may be placing too much in it just because of our reality TV adult brains. But I do wonder if there's something to this about at least one of them or maybe both being able to be like consistently competitive, but never making it to the top until the very end when it's like, okay, the, the field has thinned a lot. Now they're able to turn on the afterburners and we surprisingly see them do very well. I think, yeah, I think we are putting a lot of stock in a, in rules that Phil has repeatedly enjoyed breaking. Mm. So I don't know how much stock we could put in that, but it would be a satisfying story if this was the story we got. Uh, I think I think they're both very fun to watch and certainly people that I could see myself cheering for in a final. So I hope that I hope that bodes well, especially with three women going out back to back. You really want the women that are left in the competition to stay, stay in for much longer. I agree, though I am a little trepidatious if, you know, with the finalists, the families tend to come out for the final challenge. I'm not sure what Laura's family has prepared for a bit. I'm, <laughs> I'm a little nervous. We shall see. Talk about dirty hands getting clean. Yeah, who knows, Mike? At least they've they've proven, like, if, if there's anything, you know, if that helps at all, it's like we've proven we're an exciting family. We'll do something interesting. So you definitely want to bring us out for the finale. Exactly. Well, it comes down to Sergio and Jake here. What was it, Jess? Was it just to the point you made earlier that they had considerably more weight to shovel around and they weren't doing it at a proportion that was fast enough? Because you had someone like Ellery that was certainly up there, but he seemed to be going about it quickly. I know Sergio did his usual slow and steady wins the race here, but was it just they had too much to do and were taking too slow with it that they wound up at the bottom? I mean, it, it's hard to say, but I think so. And I think there's also like... We we saw this last season on Amazing Race. Like I was, I was first thing I thought when I saw this task, like, wow, Derek X would crush this, um, mm. because there's certain ways you can hit that ice that will crush it faster, right? Yeah, absolutely. You you got to find certain faults to it, and I think also the idea of like the smaller sledgehammer as well also helped. But it seems like these two guys were going into overtime, which surprised me because I would say going into this week. In my opinion, these were two of the guys that I think seem the most adept at taking it all uh, just because of their skill set, because of their approach to everything and the fact that they had won or gotten close to winning challenges in the past. So to see one of them go here is quite a shocker uh, as we go into our overtime challenge. As we mentioned before, you have to assemble and pack 40 pounds of squid plus ice into 25 boxes and Basically, what this comes down to, Jake is going to do what I guess some would say I come from behind win or at least a little bit of an underdog win, considering how things starts. He's going to focus on pre-assembling the boxes so that once he does that, all he has to do is just put one dollop of squid in from the net and then he can move forward. It seems like now Sergio has a spill that kind of derails him. But from what I saw, it seems like Sergio was building some of the boxes as he went. Does that seem like the case? It does seem like that that was the case because Sergio felt like he was very good at building the boxes. 
Like I mean, Phil would Phil let him know that. <laughs> yeah, he was doing this twice as fast as Jake was, so I think he figured he could do that on an ad hoc basis, and then just hope that having the boxes, like not having to take that time up front, would help him. And we've seen that strategy play out in Tough as Nails challenges before, but. I think in the end it didn't matter because I think it came down to brute strength. I think it came down to, I think a spilling the squid and B just the ability, like Jake's ability to shovel that much more squid in a single scoop. When he kind of had that aha moment of I can put more than 40 pounds of squid in this scoop. I think Mm -hmm. that was what sealed it. Yeah, absolutely. And he made up more than enough time, I think by just preparing the boxes beforehand Let's talk about the spilling of the squid because it was a big moment. And I love sort of the in-canon explanation, right? Phil saying, no, you can't sell that squid. It fell on the floor. The workers get to eat it in the back, but people certainly can't. (laughs) And just like the oil last week, though, before he can move forward, Sergio had to clean it up, which I kind of love. I love the campsite mentality of Tough as Nails sometimes of, hey, listen, this isn't our warehouse. We're renting it out from this very nice company. Let's not just leave squid all over the floor. Yeah, it, it feels like it, it. they do they do go the extra mile to make it feel like you really could like they are doing work up to the standard of the professional people that do the work every day. And it's like, these rules apply to you as well. And we could certainly take this squid to market tomorrow, which I assume they do not. But I, it's always a question I want to ask Phil. Like sometimes like the Catalina Island thing, like but clearly that's going to stay at the campsite. You could go there now and visit the thing that they built. But some of them, it's like, are you going to, is this truckload of gravel now prepped for sale? You know, are these squid yeah. something that you could go to the fish market now and buy like official tough as nails squid? <laughs> Um, was that part of the, like, did he have to pick up the squid before he could continue? It seemed like it. Yeah. I mean, he certainly went for it. And I believe Phil did vocalize something in his narration of like, oh, he has to clean it up now. So I think that to me seemed like even the bigger time sink Mm -hmm. than having to rebuild an entire box is like, okay, you just spilled 40 pounds of squid. And we saw how much 40 pounds of squid resided in that one net that Jake was scooping. Now you have to clean all of that up and then you have to make an entire other box to make up for it yeah and they're not slimy old levels of slippery but those are some slippery mofos and they were slippery themselves those mofos uh mm-hmm. it's i'm surprised they didn't give them those like restaurant you know slip proof shoes because i don't know that seems like a bit of a liability to me to have them slip sliding around considering that they were in front of like a metal conveyor belt and a giant stapler God help us if something went wrong and they reach for the wrong thing. I mean, the giant stapler strikes me as if I was a child watching this show. I would be very excited about the giant stapler. I still am excited about the giant stapler. It's really cool. I didn't realize that that's how boxes were made. I did not take the trip to the box factory. Like You didn't watch how it's made boxes? No, I did not. I unfortunately did not check the box on that episode. But Sergio is unfortunately going to get eliminated here uh very sad of course sergio talks a lot about wanting to do this for his brother the massive tragic loss that he experienced and how he feels like that broke his family apart and how he needed you know the money to be able to piece them back together and to have him punch out and then talk to his brother in a manner of speaking I thought was incredibly touching. And it's one of the many reasons why I'm really grateful for the tough as nails format where we're not going to see him go away anytime soon as dirty hands is going to vocalize to him. Like they need him now. He's even going to say that he feels like this was a sign from his brother to say, pump the brakes a bit, focus on your family. In this case, you know, earning money through dirty hands. So it makes me incredibly elated that we get to see more Sergio, not only from his personality, which has been so great, but also to allow him the chance to to get more money to make this goal of his to try to move on from this horrible tragedy that befell his family and, you know, change them forever to give them the financial means to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems like, again, like we've had two parallel stories this episode of people tragically losing their brothers. They should talk to each other about that. I mm. think that's what that's what we would expect out of tough as nails. So I, but I, 
I think it's interesting how many parallel narratives there are and how much we've emphasized like people's connections back home. Like it's, it's also, it's something Allie always talks about. Like every Allie confessional is I'm so close to my family. I'm away from my family. And it, it seems like we're getting more of that than we have in previous seasons. To see both similarities and differences as well, because mm-hmm. Ali talks about that. And then you have Laren being like, oh, I want the money to move closer to my family. Yeah. So, again, everyone has a different story to tell. And it's so interesting to hear what their like next step goals are. Some want to start their own business. Some are very happy in their business and like want to work on something at home. I just always find it so interesting in these reality TV competitions what people want to do with the money. We saw this as recently as the finale of Survivor 43, right? When people come out of the woodwork with very unique things they want to do with the prizes. And especially in a show where due to, unfortunately, the wages that that come with these types of jobs, this money can really be felt in every cent and sense that the their reasonings for doing it and how they both are similar and different just goes to show how you know various and variable this cast is. Yeah, and I find the fact that A, everybody gets money, and B, it's not like lottery money. It it makes it seem more practical and accessible and mm. the challenges feel more relatable. Like I I don't really like shows where people get like an enormous windfall and it becomes all about like this astronomical amount of money that is impossible for humans to count. Like this is, this is money you can put toward one purpose. It's not going to change your entire life, but it's going to, it's going to enhance the existing life that you have. And I like that about it. While we're talking about Sergio, I just got to give a shout out because we are always so excited to have contestants from these various shows that we cover listen to us yammering on about them for hours at a time. And Sergio has been in the bunker with us pretty much from the get-go. He is consistently responding to the podcast whenever they are posted. So massive shout out to Sergio. He's been so much fun to watch and also for shedding some light. Uh, He responded to one of the tweets about the podcast explaining about his back injury, that he had kidney cancer almost 10 years ago in 2014. And the reason why his back injury ended up occurring is because of the surgery that came from removing those tumors. So it's wild. I'm a little surprised that wasn't mentioned on the show, but I'm grateful to Sergio, not Mm -hmm. only for listening, but for also providing that much needed context. Yeah. Talk about tough as nails, Mike. Seriously. Well, Jess, I want to finish here by having us make some bold and probably incorrect predictions. I alluded to it throughout, but We are halfway through the season. Eight players remain. In your opinion, who do you think is going to win the season right now? I think I'm giving the edge to George with an outside chance of Beth. Okay, George and Beth. I'll go with some different names just for fun, though I do not disagree. I think I'd put Jake up Mm. there. I think that while Jake stumbled last time and he was, you know, in the, the bottom three the week before i still think that he's a very capable person i feel like nearly every challenge we get like oh me working on the pipeline applies to this he talked about even though it wound up at the bottom two this episode him talking about swinging much heavier sledgehammers and so there was no way he would get as tired with uh, a less weighted sledgehammer so i still think while this may be his bottom most moment a pun intended that he has the set of skills to be able to rally i think i'd put I put Alima in there as mm. well. I think while Alima was in the bottom two last week, she also has a good skill set. I don't think it's coincidental that you have someone like Sanithia comment on it. She seems to be one of the people we know the most about due to her own personal history, both happy and sad. So I could certainly see her as well. But as we mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, the way the story is told on Tough as Nails, there are a lot of options. I could see Laren. Laren's like very quietly competent, and I feel like he could certainly be in there. Mister went into the bottom too, but he's a personality that he could sneak by. Ellery, another person who had low moments and high moments. So I think there's rationale for really any of these remaining eight to be. I mean, we're going to go from eight to four when it comes into the finale. I could reasonably see any of them making that top half cut. Yeah, it's it's true, Mike. It's really hard to it's really hard to pick a a front runner, um, which I think maybe 
maybe it's something tough as nails has gotten better at over time. Yeah, definitely. I think, again, going back to the first couple seasons where we're like, all right, these people aren't faltering whatsoever. We could probably pencil them in, though. You never know. I would say that about Sergio in the first few episodes. And then he ends up getting sent out here. I think tough as nails is very amazing. Racy, not only in its hosts and tasks, but also with the idea of no matter how you're doing before one bad round or one bad leg can be all it needs to be to take you out. And that makes it exciting because it definitely helps throw predictability off the boat a bit. Yeah, it's true. But I, I feel like I feel like Sergio kind of went out in the roof release spot. Where it's mm. like this is somebody that's getting a lot of airtime who's very entertaining and you think he's going to go far as a result. And then your expectations are subverted. Yeah, the kind of uh, hanger from last season, I think, is another good example yep. of that. Uh, you mentioned Alfie before to the sort of like older man who makes it fairly far but still falls short but is luckily going to be able to provide some fantastic color commentary on the side yep for sure well just thank you as always for providing your color commentary to tough as nails whether it be dark green or black anything else you want to plug happening out there for you or just the internet in general well on the internet in general i gotta say tough as nails twitter is kind of dead and Mm. it there is so much potential there. Like last night was there are not very many people live tweeting tough as nails, but I decided to do it because that was the best time to watch the show anyway. And, you know, you have you have the Kogans out there, of course, commenting and helping yep. provide color and getting into pun contests with you. Um and they are, of course, delightful as always. Um, and you have David Bloomberg is out there live tweeting there Tough go. as Nails. And that's about it. So I would love more interaction during that time. Um, as much fun as it is to to talk shop with with Phil and Lou, it is really great to hear from other people that are watching the show. I want to know what you guys think. Another thing uh, I'm possibly, you know, pushing you to plug. Can you show off your wardrobe to the people that are watching? Uh, this yes, video? I've been to eBay. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a Spec Mix Bricklayer 500 T-shirt now. Did it? Did it? When you opened the box, your own care package, did the music automatically play? Unfortunately, no. But it played in my head. So, because remind me of this, that we obviously have made light of the actual Spec Mix song, but I remember from that first episode of season one that like they did the bricklaying challenge because it is an actual challenge to the shirt that you're wearing. It's an actual competition and there are fairly high stakes. And I think the gentlemen that we saw in that episode, they were even like contenders in the Bricklayer 500, but it's something um, you yourself could go on eBay right now. If you wanted a Bricklayer 500 shirt, there are souvenirs from years past out there and available to you. Should we take this as a sign of you getting into any sort of new career path? <laughs> Probably not. Like, I think I'm just, I just enjoy repping the brand. I'm a content creator, not a wall creator. Exactly. You can uh, wear the shirt, but you can't, walk the walk I look suppose. you know you could wear a new york giants jersey it doesn't make you a football player oh certainly not that very much is for sure uh well you can follow everything jess is up to including her live tweeting of tough as nails over at haymaker hattie you can follow me at a mike bloom type uh doing a bunch of stuff out there usual coverage of the last of us and the legend of vox machina both of which premiered in the past couple weeks going very strong in particular I guess the, other, the one big thing I'll plug is this past weekend, I was on Pod Friends with Matt Scott. It was, in true Tough as Nails fashion, uh, a very, you know, I would say cathartic and open conversation about happy times, sad times, angry times, etc. I was very grateful to Matt for the opportunity to speak with me uh, and to be able to, to talk about some things that I had never spoke about before on a microphone, surprisingly, in the past near 10 years. And even more so to hear from people who have reached out over the past few days. It has meant the absolute world to me. That is the true care package I could get. And it just warms my heart. I love it more than nuts, Jess. It was it was really beautiful. It was a great listen, Mike. And I I have to tell you, I recorded my own Pod Friends episode this week. And when Matt made me do the bumper that says, why should you listen to this podcast? I was like, don't listen to mine. Go listen to Mike's. No, don't do that. That's the worst. (laughs) That'd be like Phil being like, hey, you don't need to watch this. Go watch The Voice. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it really was such a beautiful conversation, Mike. And I hope people who haven't heard it yet will go and hear it. 
Well, I'm really looking forward to listening to yours as well. I'm sure it'll be absolutely fantastic. Well, next week, the back half of season four of Tough as Nails begins with episode six. Looks like we're uh, taking a move out of old ex-president Jimmy Carter. Looks like we're building some houses here, or at least working on some of them. Should be interesting. We have some carpenters in our cast, so we'll see. Is this an opportunity for them to step up? Does that give Dirty Hands yet another advantage? We shall see. But it's been such a fun time covering this season so far. Can't wait to see what the second half brings. Hopefully, Rob will be able to join us as well to talk about that. And so much more happening on Rob Has a Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, whether you be uh, a alumni of the show, the host of the show, or just someone who's enjoying Tough as Nails as much as we are. It has been so appreciated coming back to cover this show in full, and I can't wait to do it for the next month as we uh, begin to look towards that truck and that $200,000 coming somebody's way. Thank you all so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.